Hello everyone and a warm welcome back to Footprints. This month's episode is all about the community of growers and gardeners in and around Bath. We're not talking about traditional farming here, we're talking about market gardens, allotments and taking care of small patches of land. Growing locally became very popular during the First and Second World Wars, but in the decades since, intensive farming practices have drowned out the small-scale grower. But in recent years, there's been a bit of a resurgence, and more people have been coming together to grow and share food, care for the land they live near or they live on, maybe in an effort to help communities tackle some of the challenges we're all facing. In this episode, I'll be finding out about forest gardening in Bath Easton and I'll go bug hunting on the Whiteway Estate. But to start with, let's meet Hamish Evans. Back in 2020, during the pandemic, at the age of 22, Hamish co-founded Middle Ground Growers, a hugely successful veg box scheme, delivering boxes by bike. Hamish believes in small-scale growing, saying it makes sense on many levels. People get to eat healthy, seasonal, organic food. And economically, the money stays within the Bath community. And that way, people are supporting their local bakery, butcher and fruit and veg growers. Since those early days, they've expanded and they're now on a new piece of land at Western Spring Farm. And I went to meet him there. Yes, I'm Hamish Evans, um, so co-founder of Middle Ground Growers. Uh, we're like a core team of four, um, and then we've also got a wider network of kind of trainees, volunteers. Our VegBox team as well, they're kind of a core part of this work. And so it's kind of a community-supported agriculture model. So we've got 120 uh, members who sign up for their weekly box for the whole, the whole year or like a summer season. Um, and then we've got uh, quite a few sort of restaurants, shops, uh, cafes and bath we supply as well and um, we also work with other farms like community farm uh, to kind of like supply for their veg boxes etc and we're here at western spring farm which is one of our sites and one of our growing places um, and that's a sort of 15 acre ecological farm uh, agroforestry market garden coppice nuttery etc and um, we've also got a few smaller market gardens dotted around bath and and hopefully uh, kind of multiplying and pollinating more as uh, our trainees this year are sort of moving on to <laughs> new plots as well. So, uh, yeah, we're looking to kind of just keep keep building and growing that, but at, a, at an appropriate scale, but also one that's kind of effective and actually, you know, supplies a good quantity of bath food. Just describe the view ahead for me, you know, what you've got here. Just paint the picture. Yeah, so we're, we're kind of looking onto like a fairly hilly landscape. We've got the Cotswolds area of natural beauty. You can just see Kelston Roundhill, those cluster of trees. We've got a nice little walk up there for sunset. And <laughs> so in front of us, we've kind of got loads of wildflowers just on the entrance. <laughs> and then just beyond that, we've got the market garden. So we've got all of the crops for our veg boxes. And then just beyond that, we've kind of got the agroforestry set up. So we've got like orchards, we've got uh, rows of brassica crops and onions at the moment because we've been getting into autumn We've got a big field of squash at the top so there's some big orange orange beasts lurking in the grass up there it's like a restoration agriculture model so it's kind of like fruit tree crops with an understory of berry bushes or something like that understory of wildflower strips pollinators and then we've got the veg crops and then the pattern kind of repeats and on the lower field kind of to our right a bit out of shot that's where our spring water comes down and we've got a small coppice down there so willow and hazel and that's also where the nuttery is as well. 
So why have we gone down the intensive route over the last few decades? Um, well, I think it's a yeah a mixture of reasons. It's a whole, yeah, I wouldn't say sort of blaming farmers helps anything. There's been wider economic forces of globalisation and stuff, which is talking to like neighbours and other growers around here that are much larger scale. They've been forced into a route to kind of almost like survival mode, you know, to make it work. And then they've been sort of sold this myth, both into kind of debt-driven agriculture, but also quite industrial scale. So there's this very like common culture, just like, you'll like be able to profit more because you've got like more fertiliser, more inputs, more tractor, more acreage, more specialisation into, you know, one crop. And kind of things like land prices as well have shifted things. But I think there's a whole host of kind of quite complex global but also local problems that have kind of caused that shift. Could we operate using your model and feed the nation? Is it scalable? I think we need a mixture of models. I think we could use these kind of principles, like principles and ethics we've borrowed from kind of permaculture, regenerative growing. There's this permaculture triad of kind of earth care, people care and fair share. So it's kind of about, yeah, really putting them at the heart of what we do. And then there's this this other sort of influencing factor for us has been uh, regenerative agroecological growing. So that's about any form of growing that is actually like regenerating the land it's on rather than kind of depleting and degenerating it. And so I think if that can be applied both in different models and different scales, then I think it's a very viable way because what, what we've already noticed here is actually, you know, things like yield and, you know, even like income and things like that are all actually increasing because it's regenerating every year. So our soil health is like phenomenal. We just walk past some cabbages that are bigger than our heads, you know. <laughs> so without actually inputs of fertiliser and things, we're actually our soil health and our things are improving and we're sort of getting more like higher population of bird species and we're getting more more sort of insects and things that eat the pests, that eat the veg and we're just getting these more like continuous loops. Yeah, you know, if that, if that model can be kind of replicated in, in different contexts, following a similar pattern of like, you know, minimal tillage and things like that, we had one of them in every neighbourhood, we could easily um, provide all the fresh food needs. And then we sort of get on to the kind of more like, you know, the calories and the fats and things like that, which we can certainly do a lot of in this way. And we've got the nuttery, and we're doing a lot more storage crops like squash and potatoes. But we're also interested to kind of look at very mixed model. We don't need like, there's not one perfect farm size in my view, it's like, we need the really tiny little urban garden that's providing just like, you know, fresh salads and really nutrient dense things. And then we need kind of the the outer zone stuff, the kind of mixed farms, things like that. And then I think we also need sort of look at new ways to do like our bulk grain crops and stuff like that. So that might be through there's some interesting stuff going on with um, cereal crops and sort of looking at like agroforestry, uh, growing grains between uh, tree crops and doing it in a much less intensive way, like organic no till. So there's some really interesting things sort of moving in those spheres as well. We're focusing on the veg for now, but we'll certainly be <laughs> once our nut crops kick in and other sort of long term staple crops will be um, sort of expanding that over time. We talked about <clears throat> scaling up, but I've just thought, could you scale this right down to a back garden size? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the like forest gardening is kind of the garden level of what we're doing here. Forest garden mimics a natural forest kind of have lots of like you know tall canopy trees like your walnuts etc oaks and then you've got your lower kind of fruit trees and apple trees pear trees etc and then you've got your kind of ground crawlers and vines you know imagine grapevines climbing up the trees you've got your berry bushes and the understory you've got then you've got your kind of annual veg crops and things like that so it's it's trying to sort of mimic what we'd see in nature basically but then kind of tweaking it a bit to be like oh well what's the exchange here and what do we 
also need in terms of like medicinal plants, food plants, staple crops, etc. So that we kind of got like a massive forest garden here. So that could definitely be applied to a small garden. Yeah. Now you mentioned you're attracting more insects and they're eating the bugs. Are they eating enough of the bugs? Do you have a bug problem? We're fairly new on this particular growing site, um, and this year's been yeah been really good actually in terms of kind of pest problems you know we, we don't really we don't view it in the typical way of kind of like pest problem and then solution spray or like this sort of thing it's a much more um you have to take a bit more like a holistic approach to kind of grow organically and regeneratively you've actually got to kind of step back and be like okay what sort of ecological system creates balance in populations and then you'll have you know plant life and animal life will thrive so you know it can take time to get to that especially because we've got kind of imbalances in populations. We've killed off a lot of wild populations, insect populations have declined, partly through farming methods, industrial farming, but also partly through, you know, our other practices and pollution and waters, uh, you know, full of uh, chemicals and plastic and things. But, yeah, there's a lot of factors that have sort of led to that. So we're kind of, we're in this state we've got to, you can't just be like sustainable growing, we've got to actually regenerate it and make it better. Yeah, so the way we approach pest problems and things like that we've got kind of got a mixture of methods um, but we try to sort of aim for getting that balanced diversity so we've got you know there's lots of things like bird boxes wildflower strips pollinator strips you know in the fields we actually plant those underneath the orchard rows um, and things like that to try and attract much more diversity um, the less we disturb the soil the more soil life there is so actually it's the the stuff we don't see under the soil which is crucial to that kind of pathogenic resilience and things like that so it's kind of viewing the farm as an ecosystem rather than kind of farmer's production machine, really. I'm beginning to understand it's a whole systems approach you're looking at. You're not seeing anything as the body. It's how everything mm. lives together in balance so mm. that you can make the most use of the land and, and grow enough food for a local community without depleting the soil, without overproducing. And this just needs replicating, I guess, and... Yeah, there's yeah, there's a recent event with Land Workers Alliance trainees and there were like dozens of, you know, new growers that wanted to do things like in this similar way, but there's a huge mismatch between like that and like the access to land, the access to startup capital, and yet we've got these thousands of acre farms that are all kind of, you know, basically running on debt and subsidies and, and yet we've got an economically viable model on a small scale. We've got four full time people paid in a living wage on this site on a very small acreage <laughs> and then you look at all the fields around us and no one's ever on the fields and it's all it's kind of all debt driven so we've got a very economic proposition as well as an ecological one it's nonsense that there's like no demand there's no like new growers wanting to do it there's loads of tons they just need to be like <laughs> matched up with the opportunities and kind of for people to be like open to that and open to them learning so many of the solutions just like start with the soil and start with like the people here and what we realize through this is that so many other people get involved and we've got, you know, volunteer days and people coming from the community that get really, you know, sort of passionate about the local food and they connect to the soil more, which, you know, they don't have much access to. There's huge ripple effects that you can't quite, you know, explain. But, yeah, the solutions are all, like, here. <laughs> it doesn't need to be some far-off big complex thing. It can be right here where we are. Thanks to Hamish Evans there from Middle Ground Growers. If you want to find out more, just head to the programme notes for their social media links. Now... Next up, I was invited to visit a small-scale forest garden project, which was also started during lockdown. Now, I'm here at Bath Easton. I've come to see Emily Wright. She said, meet me in the forest garden, and you'll find the forest garden through the secret garden. So, I think... 
This is the secret garden. It's a beautiful formal garden. A laden apple tree. Many trees actually, one propped up. Lots of box hedging. Each of the four borders has got a little rose, some verbena fading now at the end of summer. And behind this secret garden, I'm looking for the Grow Bath Eastern Forest Garden. Let's walk up here. Are you Emily? Hi. Emily, take me to the forest garden. Yeah, so <laughs> this is uh, so this is the secret garden that's a community garden owned by the parish council. And this plot here behind the secret garden is the forest garden. So this, uh, as of last year, was thoroughly overgrown. You know, it was basically the compost heap for the secret garden. So we had an idea that we've been looking for community planting areas for some time over the last couple of years thought well we can turn this into a forest garden because a few of us have been on permaculture courses forest garden courses thought this is just perfect so it sounds like a forest garden is a thing what what does is what a is thing. a forest garden so a forest garden it's sort of an extension of permaculture approach of working with the environment and the ecosystem that you've got so a forest garden is basically an edible forest and everything within the garden has a purpose from the top layer the top canopy of a tree that provides protection for animals plants right down to the uh, microorganisms in the soil and there's different layers so the idea being is you can walk in here and everything has a benefit to you it's either you can eat it or you can have benefits from say medicinal or you just benefit from your well-being I mean this is a space where actually it's just lovely to hang out we do couple of times a month we do community planting to get rid of the bindweed that's everywhere um but it's just a lovely place to sort of sit and uh recuperate from the week it's lovely isn't it it's beautiful show me around then yes. show where, where should we go so, first it's absolutely overrun at the moment with gorgeous yeah. flowering nasturtiums yes nasturtiums if in doubt plant a nasturtium to cover space so the first thing we had to do for any forest garden was basically create a structure so we put cardboard and wood chip down in certain areas and then it's like okay we've got some beds to put in what do we want to put in them so well, we've got the nasturtiums always popular squash they climb everywhere so it's a good place to put cover and then a bit more structure so we've already got some trees here we unfortunately had to lose an elm because it had dutch elm disease but it's now been turned into a table and a bench so yeah, it's beautiful isn't it look yes. you can see the whole cross section of the elm that's yeah. now the tabletop that is yeah. absolutely beautiful i mean one of the principles of forest gardening is you don't want to take anything out it's got a purpose so yeah and then what we've also put in is a lot of structure with new fruit trees so we've got a nectarine here yeah i'm looking forward to seeing the nectarines on that (laughs) maybe a few years older we've got a fig tree here we've got a mulberry over here now this was uh, one of the somebody in our growers club said i've got this mulberry it's not working for me can you come and dig it up do you want it where's the mulberry the mulberry is (laughs) this great big stick over here now we're a bit worried that we've done all the effort of digging up but it's still showing signs that it's alive so hopefully that will come back to life we've got a medlar 
over here. So that's pear, is it? Well, no, it's it's a it's a fruit of its own. I've never tasted it. You get them in specialist shops, but you can make medlar jam and things oh. like that. We have got several pears, lots of apples, and then this border over here. If we come down to the main path, this is where we have our soft fruit. We've got gooseberries in here. We did put raspberries, they weren't particularly happy. Currants. Strawberries have been popular this year, so we put strawberries at the edge. So you, you sort of think that that one's about to go ripe and then someone's been along and had it. So. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. So who is it for? I mean, who 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 gardens here? Who can come here? Who's allowed so anybody... in? Who can eat the produce? Yes, well, <laughs> this is a public space, so anybody can come here. Anybody can come and enjoy the space. Recently, we've put up this uh, notice board so you actually know what this is about. Because most people understand the conventional gardening of the secret garden, but as you say what's the forest garden so we've got some information so anyone can come and enjoy the space and anyone can come and enjoy the produce i think that's the one of the first things i noticed because last year we planted 40 fruit trees across the village and i noticed someone picking an apple the other day and oh you're picking one of our apples and i went no emily it's a community <laughs> tree <laughs> so you have to kind of so, get over that so what you're saying is i am allowed to take yes. that pumpkin away yes yes <laughs> if it's ripe if it's ripe i think there's a courgette that might have been thought it was a, a pumpkin that's outgrown its face but there must be a lot of people involved in gardening here how many how many yes. have you got at the moment so we have a very popular growers club and we have a community planting club so if people are free on a saturday morning so we run regular groups on a second saturday of the month and last sunday of the month and we just say we're meeting down here come and join us bring your secateurs and your gardening gloves and it's just nice to chat as well as you know clear weeds and plant things so anybody in the village who wants to come can come it's on our website and you mentioned a growers club and yeah. I've read recently that allotments and growing are, are sort of going through a resurgence at the yes. moment. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we started Grow Bath Eastern two years ago in the middle of the pandemic. You know, a lot of us hadn't met each other. It started with an idea of someone saying, I've got an idea about getting people growing their own food. And what I've seen in the growers club is a community grow, not just plants. And so people are using the space whether it's in their gardens in somebody else's garden I know one of our growers club is you know working the land in their neighbor's garden because they don't use it so I think there's definitely been a resurgence of the joy of growing things one of the gifts of the pandemic was people growing more food wasn't it I certainly grew food in my garden and also you're building confidence we have plant swaps just in the car park usually about three or four times a year and people come down and bring their surplus i've got too many tomatoes or has anyone got any cucumbers and you see you know confidence in growing you know people say well that usually dies on me it's like well if you don't grow anything nothing will die either yeah so you know yes. like you know point. yeah Good so point. so you know it's it's a guy it's sharing experiences and what's popular and and um you know having a reason to talk to your neighbors you know one of the side effects of the pandemic was isolation i think and people not being able to get out there and be in space we saw this space being used so much more during you know when we only had an hour out today and you know i've lived in bath eastern for 15 years and the last two years i've met more people than i ever did in the 13 years previous because I have a reason to chat to them 
how's your tomato plants growing? And you're the chair of Grow Bath Eastern. Do you collaborate with any other groups that are around the city? I suppose I'm just trying to get a picture of what's what's around. You're obviously literally flourishing here, but there must be more groups like you. Oh, so many. One of our first meetings was actually listening to Claire from Blooming Whiteway and what they're doing up there. So we have a connection with them. We also have a really good relationship with Bathscape, so they've helped us. You'll see on our notice board we've got from Bathscape what wildlife is available here board. So we've been working with Bathscape. They've donated seeds to, to help with our meadows. Since the National Trust took over the meadows, we've been working with them in terms of how can we connect these spaces. So, Emily... People living in Bath Eastern might want to get involved, might not have heard about you. All they have to do is come down to the car park, turn right, walk through the secret garden and here they are at the notice board. And they can find you on Facebook? We are on Facebook, we are on Instagram. We also have a website, growbatheastern.co.uk, so people can email our community connector. Alley and get involved. We've got pop-up markets running this year, thanks to BWCE funding, Bath and West Community Energy. So we've put the funding now towards pop-up markets and having local growers, local veg stalls, etc., and also to all the planting in the forest garden. Thanks so much to Emily Wright for showing me around. This year, they're organising pop-up markets, and you can find out more by visiting their website, growbatheastern.co.uk. And they're also on Facebook and Instagram. Now, we all need a bit of inspiration when it comes to our front gardens, I think. Claire Loder and Jude Rice started Blooming Whiteway in 2017 with their first and now annual Front Gardens Festival. These festivals are there to inspire us to turn our driveway gardens into wildlife havens, to fill our patio pots with plants for pollinators and to create luscious, edible beds. As they say, anything goes. So, back in May, I went to the heart of the Whiteway estate to meet the people involved and find out more. So we're in Whiteway Green and we're in an area of the park that's really tucked away. It's called the Peace Path. And our last bug hotel was vandalised, unfortunately, so we're building back better. So we're building a much more official bug hotel and stuffing it with anything we can find that's kind of organic and little nooks and crannies for lots of different invertebrates to hide in and hibernate in and all sorts. And we've got a really good turnout. I'm so excited. Well, here we are at the bug hotel. That is amazing. It's got a proper... A roof. Got a pitched roof. Look at that. We're cutting up sticks for the bug hotel. So I think this will just get stuffed in areas so that the bugs can make their home in it. So with Jude, Jude Rice, I started Blooming White Way about five years, yes, our fifth year actually. And from that, we started a front garden festival. And from that, I guess, as we've learned about the role of gardens, how they're connected to green spaces. And as we've understood how wildlife has declined and biodiversity is kind of diminished, we, we're thinking increasingly about the importance of our green spaces and the mosaic. And this park lends itself really well. I think it's like the beating heart of Whiteway because it's like the green heart. It's at the centre of the estate and it kind of emanates out. So everything that happens here kind of emanates out through the gardens, through Hakem Drive, that kind of squash circle, and then out to 
the landscape at English Coombe, the countryside that I can see across there, and uh, then down through the city farm to Bath. So it's a really important site. I think it's really crucial. And a lot of people talk about how this space is kind of is vandalised, but I kind of think that I mean that's the human element. There, are, there some of that goes on, but if you look beyond that and look at the wildlife and the and the potential for growing the biodiversity and all of the implications on well-being and you know, all the stuff that we've learned over COVID and how, how good all that is for us, then I think it's a really exciting space. What's really lovely is we have a great network of hedges. There's a lot of old privet hedges from when it was a council estate. It's great for, for wildlife. So we've got great populations of starlings and sparrows. I've seen a sparrow hawk hunt along our street, you know, more than once. I saw it the other day. There's kestrels, there's buzzards and... I think a lot of people have been really up for this and what we really wanted to do was not to not necessarily encourage people to garden more but maybe to leave stuff because there are a lot of wild gardens some people might call them scruffy but we're very excited by the bramble and the honeysuckle and the thick hedges because that's that's abundant so actually what we do is we take plants round put little flags in them saying we love your garden join our festival we started as Front Garden Festival, but we also collaborate with More Trees Baines, so we look after one of their community tree nurseries on Rush Hill, and we're there every week tending to those seedlings and trees. And the idea of that project is that we gather tree seeds locally, they're germinated in the city, and then they go out to tree nurseries across Baines with the idea that they go back into the ground. So it's this provenance, this local provenance, because we all know we need to plant more trees, but where are those trees coming from? We're under a tree, Lucy. What are we doing under a tree? We're just about to put a sheet underneath it, and then we're going to shake shake the tree. This is a this is a oak tree. Hmm. I'm not sure it is. I think it might be a sycamore tree. If it was an oak tree lots and lots of other things would fall out of it as well. So now we're going to give the tree a good old shake. Don't shake the sheet. Keep the sheet still. Otherwise everything will disappear. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a little beetle there. Look. What else have we got? Big green aphid. Another beetle. Another little beetle. In fact, there's loads and loads of very small beetles. And not very many spiders. So it's a tree that beetles love. It is. Because an oak tree will support about 2,000 different species. Sycamore's less than that, but still loads and loads and loads of things living on it. Right, so should we get some of these beetles into the pot and then you can have a look at them through the magnifying glass. Oh, look, there's one, yep. Oh, there's, there's something in there, that was... We need that. Oh no, it's flown off. There we are, there's a couple. I like the look of that one, because that's got a white stripe down its back. Oh, let's get those in as well. 
So what we're doing is then pu putting them in a little pot that's got a magnifying lid on it. We might need that then. Let's just put the lid on. So then you can just have a look at them. Oh, and that's going to turn into a ladybird. Oh, yeah. That's a baby ladybird, but this is a little weevil. You see how beautiful and green it is? Don't stand ahead of There it is. Hi, I'm Rachel Spence and I'm a community worker on the White Way Estate. So I get involved in lots of community-based things and paid for by the local church to live and work on this estate. Fabulous, and how long have you been doing that? I've been here about three years and I've got another two years of my current contract. So yeah, I'm just around. I'm involved in all kinds of community things and I love being with people and chatting to people. So have you seen things change, particularly here in the last year that you've been working here? Yeah, sure. So when I first came here, I met with a colleague in this part of the park and she said, let's create a path somewhere. And I looked, we'd looked all around the park and I was like, yes, let's do it in the main bit over there. And then we walked to this bit here and it was full of broken televisions and mattresses and litter and glass. And she said, I think this is the place that we need to do it. And I was like, oh no, this is like, no one will ever come here. It's too far hidden away and, and it's just all full of rubbish. But she and I worked together to clear all of that rubbish. And then we had this vision that we would create something like a path through the trees and the, the bracken. So we cut back some of the bracken and made something that we call the peace path which is this, in this patch that we're working in today. And it literally makes my heart just sing, seeing all these people that are here identifying bugs and uh, rebuilding the bug house, um, that they're all in this patch that we've been really, we've really loved this patch of, of the park for a few years. That's amazing. And it strikes me that this is the heart of the community, isn't it? Do you feel that the community is involved in what goes on here? I think that's growing. I think to begin with, they felt like there was no hope. So when I first moved here, people said, oh, that park, there's, it's just a bad place. And it, it looked broken. Lots of different parts of it just looked broken and unloved. But since we've had park life up and running and since we've had the peace path um, up and running, we also do something called Muddy Church. And we often hold that in this part of the park. And since then, I feel like there's more hope. And today, it's really, really just gives a load, load of hope. All these people loving this part of our park. And so I do think the community are involved, yeah. It is absolutely full of people and children, isn't it, today? It's just great. We have worked hard on social media, getting the word out there about park life and drawing people together. And every, for every one person that comes, if next time they bring a friend, then it will grow more and we'll have more people here. And it's great seeing people take responsibility for loving the park. Well, once you start to love something and care about it, you want it to thrive, don't you? really like to see the estate of Whiteway thrive. It's had a bad name in the past, but there are so many people that are saying, right, now's the time to make Whiteway uh, really have its place on the Bath map. And there are, there are lots and lots of amazing community groups in this area really rooting for the community and the community themselves beginning to take that responsibility. And that's what we want. My thanks go to Claire Loder, Lucy Bartlett and Rachel Spence, all actively involved in organising a wonderful day around the Peace Path in Whiteway. 
Well, that's it for this episode of Footprints. Thank you for joining me. And don't forget, you can listen to all the previous episodes anytime you like. Footprints is available on all your favourite podcast platforms. So please do like, subscribe and, of course, share with your friends, family and colleagues. Footprints was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. And I'll see you next month.